Hi, I'm Tor, and I'm here to share secrets. Today, I'm sharing secrets with Zucky Munyon of Occlusion. Zaki is formerly of Tendermint Labs. He's a mainstay in the Cosmos community. He's a huge contributor to IBC, is pushing forward the idea of interoperability, has an interest in enclaves, and he's been an incredible advisor to the foundation since its inception. So I'm thrilled to finally have one of our conversations available for all of you, where Zeki gets to talk about his background in history in biotech, uh, now what he's doing within the Cosmos space and outside of it, and of course, uh, we talk about pretty much everything else under the sun. So I hope you enjoy listening to Zeki speak about things at length as much as I do. Uh, and without any further ado, here he is. Zaki, thank you so much for coming on, agreeing to share secrets with me. I'm thrilled for this conversation, man. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here and uh, great to, to record one of our conversations for the world. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about a lot of stuff, uh, both specific to Secret and to the Cosmos, but obviously far beyond. Uh, you've had amazing thoughts from everything from like the core tech itself to governance to you know what it really takes to build uh, a sustainable ecosystem and a sustainable company in, in this space. So I'm excited to get into some of that stuff, but maybe we should start at the beginning, really, for people who might not be as familiar with you. Who, who the heck are you? Who is Zaki? What are you working on right now? My name is Zucky. I have uh, I'm a guy. I'm like one of these weird people who grew up in the Silicon Valley. My my parents are entrepreneurs. They founded a bunch of companies and and I got into the blockchain space in like 2012, 2013, that kind of time frame. Sort of, I started going to SF blockchain devs like right towards the end of the like. 2013 bull run. Mm. And I've been interested in this for a while. Um, a big part of sort of like what brought me to the blockchain space was this sort so before doing this, I, I was working in like biotech and building laboratory equipment and medical diagnostics and stuff like that. And I got real frustrated with that space because of how slow it was moving, which has been very heavily highlighted by the coronavirus pandemic, because Basically, all of the stuff, like the technology has not moved, and it's been like eight years since I left the field. Mm. And the tech, and like so much of that technology is just exactly the same as when I left, which is really disappointing because it is so far behind what could be done. So, you know, that, that there's, there was that frustration. But the other thing that I realized is, you know, the same sort of terrible software that, you know, I wrote as a, self-taught developer who sort of kind of like figured out all this stuff by himself and was tending to work in like, you know, w you know, two or three person teams writing code. I sort of realized that like the same terrible, vulnerable, uh, exploitable software that was that I was writing was like the software that ran the entire world. And I'm like, <laughs> huh, this is probably going this is not going to end well if we sort of if we if we do if we run society like this. And so I sort of started becoming more more interested in like cryptography, security, fault tolerance, all of that stuff. And you know, it it wended it it led me down a number of different roads. You know, to you know, relevant to secret is I've been interested in like enclaves and uh, and secure computation for a long time. I've been I like I sort of invested really heavily in building a, a fairly deep expertise in cryptography mm -hmm. 
I learned a lot about distributed computing from a bunch of different people, Jay and Ethan to begin with, and, you know, uh, a bunch of other stuff like that. And so, you know, all of this stuff is, so I was kind of in this like weird community of people that existed in 2015 who were, who cared about scaling public blockchains. Uh, at the time, it was like a weird hobby. Um, and so it's like Jay and Ethan, Dominic Williams, Vitalik and Vlad and Gunn, you know, basically all people I still talk to like very frequently. I don't talk to Dominic as much anymore. Uh, I feel like Definity kind of lost the plot. But the uh, the rest of the, you know, the rest of these people I still talk to on a regular basis uh, though, and also Vlad just thinks everything I do is like, is like morally, uh, abhorrent, but, uh, nevertheless, like, so like we, we, you know, this is, this is the sort of core group of people who are collaborating in general, like not a lot of people cared back then. And we mostly came up with all of these ideas that like, we're starting to see deployed right now in 2015, you know, mm-hmm. uh, apply BFT consensus to process of producing blockchains that like there are like a couple of different uh, approaches for building sharding. Uh, like what are the different scalability solutions? How to do interoperability? All of these ideas like pretty much got figured out in that group of people in terms of like what were the fruitful directions to explore in uh, 2015. And basically, you know, I've been in, I've been you know involved in the community as it's evolved and as it's grown massively and. You know, people raise tons of money from ICOs and like, how do you turn all of these ideas into actual engineering plans and go to markets? Mm-hmm. How do you build communities that actually understand all these ideas? All of these pieces have basically been the work of the last, uh, um, you know, five years. Um, and sort of, you know, at the time I was I in 2014, I'd started a sort of enterprise blockchain focused company called SkewChain and SkewChain has not you know, done anything particularly amazing. And, you know, I'm pretty skeptical of like, uh, I sort of developed a bunch of philosophies around like, what are good opportunities in the blockchain space that like, I didn't appreciate when I started SkewChain. And so, you know, when, you know, one of the things I've been interested in a lot is like, how do you make this whole proof of stake thing work? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that like, in general, people didn't really appreciate, I think, to a large extent, is if you're going to make proof of stake decentralized, you needed to build like a whole ecosystem of operators. Mm-hmm. And so that's really kind of like what I was focused on in 2018 was like, you know, everybody sort of said that Tendermint wasn't going to work because, you know, strangers on the internet weren't going to, weren't going to deal with BFT right. and keeping their nodes online and running nodes and dealing with updates and all of this stuff. And so like, I really set out to prove them wrong. And, you know, that, that sort of set up a whole set of things. Then I sort of was sort of the handmaiden of the Cosmos Hub launch, which I think sort of, sort of as, as sort of we anticipated, sort of set off the proof of stake wave. Mm-hmm. And uh, now there's, there's many chains about that. And then for a brief time, I was sort of trying to sort out, trying to turn like all in bits, um, which was this company that Jay had started to kind of pursue his various ambitions out of Tendermint into sort of a thing that could like build sustainable businesses on top of Cosmos. And there were a lot of internal struggles and politics and all of these things. Ended up leaving to focus on my validator business. And now I'm building a whole bunch of things across 
uh, a variety of things, but like one of the things that I've been most excited about is Peggy is this like sort of Peggy JV uh, construct and Unify DAO and the work that we're doing through that, especially because I would say that like, you know, what we come to call DeFi is probably the core use case for Cosmos that I had in mind when we started building this in like 2015, 2016 timeframe, like this is what I thought people would be using it for. And one of the things that's most excited me about what's happened, what's happened on Ethereum is sort of the explosion of users who are sort of directly interacting with the protocol. Right. That's why Ethereum interop uh, with Cosmos, which is something that was in the original white paper has suddenly become like a high priority uh, in my mind. Uh, because I want... I want everybody who's directly interacting with Ethereum to also be able to directly interact with Cosmos. So let me try to summarize where we've gotten to to this point. We're, we're like starting in like earlier this past decade where like you're not even touching blockchain technology because no one was touching blockchain technology. You just knew you wanted to work on things that moved a lot faster. And if I can summarize the last like seven or eight years that you just told me about, it sounds like there was no point in time at which you weren't constantly moving, constantly working to build out some portion of all of these things that were interesting to you, be it scaling, be it staking, you know, just just to sort of prove out what this public blockchain ecosystem could become. And if that meant that you were going to chase down some of these other paths like enterprise blockchains or blockchain services for enterprise that weren't immediately fruitful, that was just another way of finding out like, all right, here's what, what might not be working right now. Let's refocus on what's here. So where you are today, I mean, like we'll get into DeFi on Cosmos. That's absolutely a huge part of this conversation. And you're going to need to define some of th these things for people like what is Peggy? What is Unified Out? I want to get into all of that. But before we get to like what's immediately interesting to you now, it's clear there were a lot of secrets you had to learn along the way. And there's probably things that like were well known to you that you had to make known to others, like the idea that you could have these decentralized staking ecosystems and people would want to participate and could build sustainable businesses around their participation. So if I, I, I hate to do this to you because you can talk about any of these subjects for, for hours at length, but it, what do you think was the biggest secret that you learned between let's say uh, like 2015, being in these circles of people like Vitalik, Vlad, etc., you know, and now like through let's say the like at least like the last year from then until now, what's like the biggest secret that you learned that's really surprised you that maybe you didn't anticipate learning, but is now kind of core to your vision for the future of this space? I think one of the things that we've like sort of most focused on in these or, okay, so like, let's talk about like kind of what my big belief is. I guess the sort of the big belief I've always had is that the core vision of blockchain is to kind of one of the things that I think is hardest in blockchain is to kind of unpack the engineer, like open up and sort of invert the engineering organization. So in a normal startup company, you build products that people use and then like how the sausage gets made is like something that like people don't really want or they don't and they don't want to see mm -hmm. and one of the big things that i really believed in with cosmos and continue to believe in is that the way you do engineering when you're building sort of these like public goods or club goods 
is this idea of like sort of inverting the engineering organization. And so what you're doing is the actual product of the engineering organization is how you're building the software. Like the core thing that the Cosmos team makes is a process for building software. Hmm. And like as a result of having this like open, visible, transparent, inclusive process for building software, as a side effect, we make a blockchain uh, and we make a toolkit for people to make blockchains and we build like and we innovate on the organizational structures around which people are building blockchains. And I, I think a lot of I still I find it frustrating frequently as I interact with other layer one protocols where it's just like, OK, like what is actually going on? And it's been interesting to start seeing more and more teams uh, starting to invert you know, to start to become that. Near has made their entire engineering calendar open. I think the secret folks, like everybody, Enigma, like you guys have, have like successfully sort of inverted that engineering process. Mm-hmm. And mostly I wanted to like show that this could work and it does work. I think the biggest constraint now on it is that every, there are like, as like more of these inverted engineering, like open engineering processes exist, it's actually just like the information flow is so much right. that like how to process all of that. But I think there also has to be like a clear differentiator between projects that are trying to make their like their engineering processes like understandable if for like essentially people outside of a small community uh, or like the, you know, an engineering team of one company. Then uh, so that's always been a thing that has like that like really excited me. I really like invested a lot of time and energy into the software engineering culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody who worked on Cosmos also invested an enormous amount of time and energy into the software engineering culture of Cosmos. And Ethan Buckman really set the pace in a lot of ways for doing that. But I'm really like, this is a thing that I think is like, it's tough to get right. And it like essentially is the entire ethos, uh, like against the ethos of, of, you know, Silicon Valley, move fast and break things, iterate quickly for product market fit, all of that stuff. And, you know, the reality is, is I think in order to sort of her blockchains to succeed, like each blockchain project has to have this kind of inverted engineering process Mm -hmm. where the, where the process itself is, is like the first product. Right. And that makes every individual team iterate slower, but we have many parallel experiments and, you know, because everything is open source, it's it should be easier to, like, stand up parallel experiments to things. Right. And so collectively, the Hydra is going after, like, product market fit. And so it's blockchains are not this, like, task of, like, I'm alone in the desert. I have, like, the money I raised from shareholders, you know, from investors, and I'm going to go looking for a product. Blockchain very rarely works like that. Blockchain is more like, we're, like we are a hydra. I'm trying to spin up as many like new heads of the hydra as possible, with the hope that like eventually these hydra heads will find uh, useful niches that where like people can make money. There's so much to dig up in that answer. I I would say there's two things actually that are really resonant for me. First of all, what everything that you're saying about inverting like the engineering organizational structure. I would actually say that I'm trying to take that a step further within the secret ecosystem. And we are trying the same structure effectively for every aspect of a blockchain. Because as you know, in the blockchain space, so much of what happens doesn't necessarily come down to like 
what's the best tech at this point in time. It comes down to like maybe the, the end application that's built upon the protocol, what's demand for that application? Or it comes down to like what's awareness look like? There, there's a lot of memetics in the blockchain space. It, it's not just engineering that has to be conducted openly. I would argue you kind of have to conduct every portion of your project from like from research to like infrastructure understanding, but like also the community elements like creation of educational materials like the more collaborative this can be and the more open it can be, it is very iterative. And I think you would actually have more success with that inverted model for something like the educational or, or awareness side of a project, having this sort of open iterative process, because if something doesn't work, it's not like you have to unplug the whole system and try it again. It's it's just a single piece of material that like somebody can interact with if, it do, if it's not explanatory you go back and you replace it with something that is more explanatory and you have a sandbox for ideas and communications just as much as you have a sandbox for the applications built on the protocol. So I, I'm 100% on your side from, from inverting the engineering structure. I think that's been extremely effective and I see it working in the Cosmos ecosystem. And I also think that we can take it even beyond that and, and we're certainly trying to. I would say that like, so when you talk about inverting everything else. I think the Cosmos ecosystem as a whole is perhaps not as bought into that. And I think that there's a, a, you know, I think there's like a relatively established among the engineering team, like a culture of like how we should do, we should do engineering in this kind of uh, process, like open process environment. Mm -hmm. I think what Unified DAO is about is about trying to open up a sort of place in the cosmos ecosystem where things are going to be done um, more like this. But yeah, I, I, you know, I still have the strongest intuition for how the engineering and like node operating and technical roadmap and to a certain extent, some of the protocol governance mm -hmm. should flow. I think to a certain extent, like marketing and education and stuff like that, I'd still say I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what is the best balance between that, like sort of having a team? Yeah, I think honestly, like with Secret Foundation and what we're trying to do in our ecosystem, it's extremely experimental relative to what you've seen in other ecosystems. But for us, having an organization whose entire function in our ecosystem is to increase education around these products and what they can mean for end users, which is only focused on global adoption and not development. I actually think that that's going to be a pattern you start to see more in other ecosystems, only of course, if we're successful. If we're not, I think it's a pattern you won't see anywhere else ever again. Uh, <laughs> but we're, we're gonna work on it anyway. But the, the part that I'm loving about what you're saying really is this idea of the process being the product. And I think that process especially the process like if it has commitment from the people in the ecosystem that's a moat a moat of of just participation and participation in process so that you're confident whatever comes out next from this ecosystem of development and engineering is going to be of quality and will be hopefully adopted because it was the result of a consistent and obvious and open process i think i think that's such a wonderful insight so let's let let me dive in though because i want to i want to talk about so many of these concepts that you've started to bring up so let's talk a little bit before we get to unify dao let, let's go back to where we were you were talking about now this idea of like ethereum and cosmos together 
you know, which was in the white paper, and now and now we're finally seeing some of this stuff stuff come to life. So tell me a little bit about what you think DeFi on Cosmos would look like if it, if it's if it's part of this initial vision, and it's coming to reality now. What does DeFi on Cosmos look like? What are some of the critical components there, like Peggy or IBC? T talk it out for an audience who who might not be as familiar with like the fundamentals of these technologies. What makes them so cool? Okay, so. The fundamental goal of Cosmos has been, we want to be able to give the opportunity for any community that is like, has a, has a, a relatively, you know, modest number of technical people involved, you know, some DevOps people, some, some engineers, um, to be able to have their own sovereign, secure blockchain. That was so, you know, the goal of Tendermint is not, I think, like, one of the things that, like, has been most interesting is, like, really understanding how the people who developed Cosmos kind of viewed. So, the first thing we were like is not everyone is going to want the same blockchain. So, some people are going to want blockchains built with Tendermint. Some people are going to want other consensus protocols. Uh, some people are going to want other state machines. The design space of how you could build a blockchain is pretty large. And for any given group of people, there's going to be a lot of them. So like the core idea of Cosmos has been a blockchain for everyone. Um, and that was like why we built Tendermint. We built the Cosmos SDK. It's not about building this like one super high TPS world computer that like everyone can use because we think there are like inherent social reasons why people might want to have their own blockchain and like this is this is a very different view uh than the ethereum view but the second thing that we wanted was is we realized that blockchains should be composable that it should be possible to have processes business workflows experiences that actually compose across these different blockchains I discovered the ideas that came into IBC, like reading Mark Miller's work from like from the 90s. And then, you know, and now we get to work with him on Agoric. But I read all of this stuff and I'm like, it is possible to build composable experiences across blockchains. So this is really the, the thing that Cosmos is really sort of focused on, which is a blockchain should be easy enough that like the engineering team of a typical startup should be able to have their own and like run their own blockchain. And that's more important than the blockchain being the fastest blockchain in the world, the most, the largest number of consensus validators. It should just be a routine, reliable, understandable process to start a blockchain. So, so that was, that was the first piece. The next piece was, is that blockchains should be composable. And because we want to make blockchains easy, if something goes wrong in your blockchain, it shouldn't take down everything else. So we want to be able to isolate faults. And that's been the second piece that we – and like you see this really – this lack, the, the consequences of the lack of fault isolation in the DeFi sort of experience today. Because right now, DeFi on Ethereum is I send my money to an unaudited Solidity contract. And anything could happen from someone steals to my money, to my money gets locked forever, to I make a whole bunch of profits. And the design of what we've been building with Cosmos with IBC is to actually not have to do that. To be able to actually give people guarantees where like, it's like, okay, I'm going to send my money to this thing. But the worst thing that can happen is that I get my money back. 
or I send my money to this to a blockchain and I'm like, either give me this many tokens or I get my money back. You should be able to actually isolate the severity of faults. And it's, and it's the same way. Like I should be able to send my money to another blockchain and be able to guarantee that no matter what goes wrong in that blockchain, you know, the total number of atoms in the cosmos is always going to be controlled by the cosmos hub. But I should be able to use atoms anywhere. Um, and that should be true of every blockchain in cosmos. So this like sort of spirit of fault isolation. And what we what we really believe is that if you have these capabilities, the world of DeFi can just like blow up at a rate that like is much greater than what we're currently seeing. Because what we're currently seeing is it is time consuming and expensive to iter- to, to like innovate in the, the Ethereum ecosystem. So we believe that there is this sort of much richer, much more exciting ecosystem that is coming across the interchain and with specialized application specific blockchains and new ecosystems. And I think a lot of stuff like, you know, Solana and, you know, the various specialized chains within Cosmos and the different communities that exist are all validating that hypothesis. But you can't ignore a bunch of things about the Ethereum DeFi ecosystem that are just amazing and incredible. The the first thing that has been amazing and incredible about the Ethereum DeFi ecosystem is that they have really made permissionless liquidity a thing that you can create a new asset and that asset can get liquidity without, you know, really asking anyone's permission, whether it's Binance's permission, whether it's, you know, Coinbase's permission, whether it's the SEC's permission. I think what has happened in this DeFi express, whether it's Sushi or it's Yearn, is really like exciting to me because of demonstrating the power of permissionless liquidity, that there is enough liquidity in this permissionless liquidity world to actually like bootstrap new projects essentially from nothing. And I think that's like one of the most, that's like incredibly exciting. That's the- like such a recent phenomenon with Ethereum DeFi because like people were saying like, Back in 2017, the the ICO was the killer app of Ethereum, but now we're saying the killer app of Ethereum is liquidity, and it, so far that's that's been true. But uh, so 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 tell me a little bit more about like liquidity on Ethereum. How how can Cosmos start to like approach this level of liquidity, given like how massive the Ethereum universe is? Like, is Cosmos's goal like with all of these interconnected chains to be able to match that capability for like self-generating and self-reinforcing liquidity? So I think the first thing that like I would like to like really prove about the Cosmos thesis is that given the right sort of pieces of like middleware, essentially mm-hmm. the, the Ethereum's liquidity is not the, the permissionless liquidity of Ethereum. It is the permissionless liquidity of the blockchain space. And in general, I believe that liquidity will always chase yield, but we have to have the right pieces of, of middleware in place. While I have a lot of really strong points of view around the fact that like markets built on Cosmos can be better than markets built on like Ethereum layer one. Mm-hmm. And whether or not these are things that are like spiritually Cosmos, like diversify or like actually Cosmos or like built on the Cosmos stack, it doesn't that doesn't really matter to me as much. But on the other hand, it's like you should be able to have a user who is totally familiar and comfortable 
with like degen yield farming speculation list you know selling coins on uniswap who's able to also be like i want to go out and and like reach into the cosmos ecosystem and access a new asset provide liquidity on a new asset see and be join a new community that is, is forming in cosmos just as easily as they can do so on something that's happening in ethereum smart contract and maybe with a stronger sense of safety mm. And that is really what I think the vision of Peggy is all about to me. It's about ensuring that there is a flow of assets. But really what has been most exciting to me about the DeFi world is that there are hundreds of thousands of people all of a sudden who are directly interacting with blockchain protocols. And I want them to be able to directly interact with Cosmos from an experience that they're familiar with. And I think we can provide that. And that is like kind of the, the goal of Peggy. Yeah, I, I'm when you say it like that, obviously, like uh, my excitement goes through the roof. So but you, you said something really interesting there, which is like, you know, the, hopefully on Cosmos, you, you feel like or in this ecosystem, you feel like you're able to do this with even greater security. I feel like security has not been first and foremost on people's minds when they've been interacting with Ethereum DeFi. And, you know, there, there's any manner of exploits that we've seen via flash loans or anything else, you know. It's hard to say how sustainable a lot of these platforms are be because there's potentially a lack of security to some of these things. And obviously some of the security risks are not uh, – they're not associated even with like fundamental engineering flaws of any of these platforms. Some of it is just like uh, from a social perspective, the fact that somebody can like immediately exit uh, a large position of tokens like the sushi swap stuff that's going on right now. Like – we have to also understand that these things like they, they don't exist in a vacuum everything takes place within the context of this global public blockchain space with interconnected projects and interconnected communities so it's really fascinating to think like okay what is security for people how much are they going to care about it and now to like kind of poke into the secret universe a little bit what does privacy have to do with security in all of this what does privacy mean for security of users what does privacy mean for the security of these platforms or these chains that we're talking about in this new DeFi universe that, that's integrated with the cosmos? And and then maybe at the end of that, we start to think about how do you think like projects like Secret can then play a role in preserving privacy for users and then helping to secure the entire ecosystem? So I think the lack of privacy has been... I'm a huge believer, fan of privacy. I've like been like a contributor to like everything from like the Tor project to Zcash, uh, advisor to the Electric Coin Company. You know, one of my projects is a Zcash peg zone. Privacy is like what I believe is both a fundamental right. It's fundamental to this stuff maturing. It, one of the things that's been interesting though is like part of the dynamic of the space is we kind of let a lot of bad engineering slide because we're like the lack of privacy the transparency of the whole thing will save us mm. it's sometimes easier to put all the pieces back together if everything is is transparent than it is when everything is private you know like right. so on zcash as could happen with any zero knowledge proof based value transfer system there was a there was a, a flaw in the in the protocol setup um, but it could have been a flaw in the protocol itself in the original Zcash Sprout protocol that would have allowed for like unlimited minting of tokens. And because of the privacy, we really don't know if it was ever exploited. Mm. And so that's the trade-off. But on the other hand, like there's so much market activity 
that just cannot take place in a world where there is no private coordination and that where you can't enforce terms but keep those terms concealed from the market or from like the, the rest of the system. I've spent a bunch of time trying to figure out with people like, for instance, could you just have like a fund that was sitting there and ready to buy liquidations of CDPs, uh, which has a bunch of capital that's like allocated for that. Mm. And it's like, yes, but basically it doesn't work. It's like trivial to front run. If any of this, if like the strategy is, is publicly visible. What would be great is if the parties could enter into a binding agreement that could be executed autonomously and that the agreements between them could be enforced you know, in a fault, Byzantine fault-tolerant environment, i.e. a blockchain. But like the details of their position, their price ceiling on which they are willing – their price ceilings and their price floors and like how much capital they're willing to allocate to certain market behavior was actually like concealed. So can you have essentially secret dApps? And I think there's there are a variety of technologies that are going to get help us get there. But like I've been fascinated by secure enclaves and you know by the SGX technology and HSMs, and I think it's a phenomenal thing to sort of start to try and see whether or not we can we can we can materialize these kinds of behaviors in the blockchain space. And uh, so that's like one of the things that excites me about secret. Yeah, obviously what excites us is the fact that, like, look, we, I, I said, I think, recently on a different podcast, if you look at the expectations we have in the quote-unquote real world, where, you know, like, you expect to be able to transact or communicate privately f with people when you choose to. Like, we have an expectation of, you know, not because you're trying to hide it from everybody else, but because, like, you just want to be able to trust selectively. It's it's about choice and consent is a lot of the time how I describe privacy. It's also how Zcash describes privacy a lot of the time. I think a lot of builders in the blockchain space kind of fundamentally understand the why of privacy, and, and we're all building towards a very similar uh, vision in that regard. Uh, and in the blockchain space, somehow the somehow the the terms got inverted, and we were just like, well, everything's going to be public by default unless we say that somebody shouldn't know it. And it's just crazy. I think, like you're saying, like it, maybe it's because like it's easier to put the pieces back together when you can see what actually broke. But on the other hand, like, is there anything worth fixing if it wasn't able to be private in the first place? Like, how big? Oh, I can completely this, agree with you. How big can this space really grow without? So, like, tell me, like. What do you think this is going to unlock? Like, is, is this is this the barrier? Is privacy the big barrier between seeing trillions of economic activity on blockchains versus billions? I think it is one of the biggest barriers. And I think, like, one of the things that, like, we need to get more privacy-enabling technology deployed for is the ability to uh, sort of start discovering in what niches of the blockchain market at the moment, privacy is is sort of a hundred x improvement on the current uh, state of the system. And so, you know, uh, you know, this is a part of the system that, like the Hydra, has has been emerging. All of the privacy technologies are like significant engineering lifts unto themselves. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I remember a time when it was basically like, basically the only people who knew how to do the only two production Stark engineers in the world were just Dara and Sean. And it's been amazing to see that becoming like 20 or 30 people. I'm even more excited for this to be thousands of people who know how to access uh, various privacy enabling platforms and build financial primitives with them. 
Yeah, that's actually, I mean, crazy cool to me. But so part of it is going to be getting more expertise in production. I think the other part and the and the part I like to talk about as a sandbox, especially within the secret ecosystem, a secret sandbox is just let people build what they want. You know, like let people issue tokens on secret network, let people build applications utilizing those tokens, let people build interesting access control applications, see what's working, see what's not. And then as long as like at the protocol level, you, you have that sense of security that you can be building in this sandbox securely uh, and, and experiment on top of it. That, that actually, I think, is the most successful ethos from the Ethereum space that I want to emulate with Secret and that I'm sure you want to see the entire Cosmos ecosystem of blockchains emulate. So to, to wrap up, I, I think it's best to talk about UnifyDAO specifically because it is sort of like, how do we bring more of this experimental ethos this, you know, like breaking things and trying things, but breaking the right things and trying the right things and getting more of that process into the Cosmos space. So what what is UnifyDAO or, you know, like what is it to you? What do you think it can mean for the Cosmos ecosystem and beyond when it comes to like building this better culture of experimentation and execution? Yeah. So where did UnifyDAO sort of come from for me? So, you know, I've kind of had this like sort of moral mission that like, you know, I helped Jay and Ethan get the Interchain Foundation off the ground. I helped them get the fundraiser off the ground. And like, it's been really important to me to like, I'd say close the loop on that, ship IBC, ship the Cosmos Hub, ship Proof of Stake, you know, and honestly, I was hoping to get it done last year. And then sort of all of the drama at, at Tendermint sort of slowed down that process. But for me... I think one of the things that other people haven't really, you know, a lot of the Cosmos community hasn't really reckoned with is so much of the energy was, okay, we're going to, you know, shipping this white paper, doing this technical lift. And I think we're really like one of the few projects that's like, that sort of proposed a next generation system that is going to be able to say this year that like that next generation system is done. So then the attention needed to shift from shipping the white paper because the white paper doesn't all it simply says is there is going to be a blockchain that blockchain is going to be called the cosmos hub there are going to be many blockchains and there's never been any there was not really anything in that original white paper vision mostly for like a strategy of being extremely conservative from a regulatory point of view mm. like what makes this blockchain the cosmos hub special we're just like it exists and so clearly there was a need for leadership about like what's going to make the Cosmos Hub special. And so I put out this memo that I call Adam 2021, which is basically what should the Cosmos Hub do to become special? It's a vision. It, it can be adopted by people or not be adopted by people. And then uh, mm -hmm. so the Adam 2021 sort of memo existed, but it was like who is going to execute on Adam 2021 was like a, a sort of unclear role. And it was like, who might be the team that executes on Adam 21 or, and what should this look like and all of this stuff. And I am largely a believer that traditional startup structures are a bad fit for the blockchain space mm -hmm. that, you know, in the blockchain space in general, like you tend to go from like idea to, especially with all of the infrastructure that we've built, like you can go from like, I have, I want to make this thing to 
like we are decentralized. We've spun up a bunch of new assets. Like there's liquidity on those assets in like a year, if not less. And, you know, you, I mean, Yearn did it in like a month. And as the infrastructure gets better, like more and more of this will happen. Like you'll go decentralized faster. Mm-hmm. You know, look how fast Secret was able to be decentralized, sort of leveraging all of the infrastructure that like took several years to build, but is now a public good and anyone can use it. Mm-hmm. So I've tried a startup company that is closely tied to a public blockchain network, a traditional startup company sort of tied to a traditional blockchain network. Uh, model a number of times and it's never really worked so unify is still an emerging thing is coming but it's like to me it has a core mission which is providing a framework around which atom 21 can happen it provides a, a vision for that it is an experiment potentially multiple parallel experiments around uh, how incentive alignment and capital aggregation and asset creation and how you can both enhance an existing network like the Cosmos Hub and build new things and how that negotiation should take place, how where the community pool should play a role and on-chain governance, where private fundraising, where crowdfunding should play a role. Like all of these things are really important to sort of experiments to take place and I published the Adam 2021 memo on July 29th and like it is early September and like there's a new company called Peggy JV, which is sort of building on a collaboration between Althea and Inclusion and bringing in new partners like Confio. Two of the three goals of Adam 2021 have funding and a team working on them. And like to me, that's just like insane how fast all of that's been moved. Frankly, it's been moving faster than we've had time for people to communicate uh, about it. But it's it, it has been like one of the most exciting pieces of the Cosmos ecosystem. I completely agree with you. And for people who want to kind of learn more about Unify DAO, there, there's a Telegram group, other things. I'll, I'll put a link in the video description so people can kind of chase down these communities. Because as Zucky's saying, like there are so many places for you to be able to plug into what's happening in this ecosystem right now. You know, whether it's part of Unified DAO looking to unify the cosmos, right? Or whether it's specific to Secret or whether it's specific to initiatives on the hub. Like, people just don't understand because we haven't had time to communicate how much has happened. I I guess this is usually how it always happens, right? People are just, like, trying to get stuff done, and then we're bringing the full force of the community to bear on all of these initiatives. But I I agree with you that I think finally it's time to take the lid off some of this stuff, let people see what's been cooking not even behind the scenes, but at least maybe in places that, you know, because of how fast the whole space is moving, they haven't had time to poke around. But I assure you that there are a million ways, if you're listening to this, to plug in to all the incredible initiatives that are happening. So, I, I, Zaki, I want to thank you for taking all the time to walk people through your own experiences, the, the amazing stuff that's happening in the Cosmosverse, all your ideas around where DeFi can go, where we think the blockers are, but how we're tearing those down. These, you've learned so much along the way. You've communicated so much of it here. I really appreciate it. If people want to follow you personally or, or anything else that you kind of want to plug now so people can stay plugged into all these initiatives, follow some of this stuff, have at it, let, let people know, and I'll be sure to also add it to the description. Yeah, I mean, uh, at Z Money and on Twitter is basically my preferred place for people to find me. So, cool. That is that's uh, as much as I love Twitter. I wouldn't say it's my preferred place for people to find me, but I will make sure people are aware that that is where they can hear a lot of your future insights. And uh, I look forward to 
having a round two of this conversation, maybe after even more of these Adam 2021 initiatives or secret 2021 initiatives ha have come to fruition. It's obviously an exciting time right now. Zaki, thank you so much for doing this. And also thank you for all your support so far uh, of secret and for uh, everything cosmos. Like I, I, I think that having that kind of, vision brought to bear on everything is essential right now as we're trying to like build stuff that's never been built like it is great to have the 30,000 foot view and and to be able to continue to push uh towards where we were trying to build even, even a decade ago yeah thank you great talking to you and great working with you on secret if you enjoyed this episode make sure to like subscribe and make sure to check out all the secret network communities that you can see here including the secret chat the secret forum and of course our twitter Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you the next time we share secrets.